Hey guys, you're listening to Rome Recap Episode 2. If you listened to our last one, you'll know that we covered quite a lot of areas, and this week we'll do exactly the same, just different areas. A lot of this uh, podcast is to do with skill performance, which we'll go into more detail with our next uh, book podcast, Peak by Anders Ericsson and Robert Poole. Um, a lot of it's to do with deliberate practice, uh, different angle thinking, subjective experience, and mental representation. Um, outside of the book Peak, we also talk about categorizing expertise, um, how an expert's opinion of something can be completely different from a novice's or a rookie's. Uh, we also talk about imagination and reality as well as creative outlooks. So if any of that sounds interesting, make sure you give it a listen and make sure you leave a comment or a review if you feel so. Um, without further ado, I hope you enjoy. Hello listeners, you are listening to the Wise Words Rome Recap Podcast. Rome Research is a note-taking tool for networking thought. Both myself and Jess use it and so we have decided to review some of our weekly notes, notes that you may not have heard of in our book review episodes. So if you like what you hear, make sure you hit that follow button and if you have any thoughts of your own on any of the multiple subjects we talk about, why not leave us a comment or send us a DM to our Instagram at wisewordsblog. Until then, enjoy. All right, so um, Rome recap two. Uh, do you want to do you want to start us off, Jess? Did you want to touch on stuff like peak and improvement? If I if it's just going to narrow this down a little bit, or uh, that, that, like I've got some aspects from peak. Um, let's, let's yeah. You told me you were seeing quite or you had quite a few insights this week, and I kind of wanted to just explore that maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, one of the main things that I kind of took from it was this aspect that. You know, when we were at school and like everyone says like 10,000 hours, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's really not about just putting time into it. But I think we tend to like define things or measure things by just time rather than quality of time. Um, And I liked the fact that like in peak, um, he kind of described like anything is possible. You just need to find a new way of, of getting around it, a new hurdle. Yeah. And that like we should measure things in kind of like almost like obstacles because you can't get to obstacle 10 without passing obstacle one. So it doesn't matter how much time you put into something. Sure. It's okay. all about like using that kind of metric rather than time because time we kind of have this idea that like progress is inclination. Like we're constantly climbing or we're constantly getting better and or, time almost is like progress is linked. To, yeah, no, I get it. Pro- progress exactly. Is to time, yeah. And so it gives us the illusion as if we are improving rather than actually it's like, well, actually, I've been at the same point for six months doing this skill, doing this task, and I haven't improved. You know, we have to kind of like use a different metric that's like, okay, well, what hurdle am I at now? And how do I get around that? I think another another way of thinking that as well is like this idea of fundamentals v the sort of um, the the sort of expertise where like if you can spend 10,000 hours on the fundamentals, I think it was Bruce Lee who said like he always just practiced the basics and he was scared of people who were very good at the fundamentals. Because for example, you could put 10 hours of practice in and you could skip like, you know, the fundamentals and try and move on to the harder stuff without, without truly improving. And I think, I think he mentions this later on the book. He said, like, the idea of this is, like, the whole 10,000 hour, uh, 10, hours practice is basically the classic thing that we have a desire to understand a simple cause and effect for, like, what makes somebody an expert. Okay, easy, it's 10,000 hours, right? It just yeah, it yeah. fills that gap of, like, 
trying to explain something simply when actually yeah. it's not really like obviously there was that i think it was Mal- malcolm gladwell pro- popularized it wasn't it like i can't what the book's called but he basically came up with this ten thousand hour rule um but like like you're saying we if you if you just attach oh right i gotta be i gotta do ten thousand hours of this practice here and then i'm gonna be a professional it, yeah it just doesn't work like time equals output you know yeah like you said you have to be ch- going through these levels and finding the hurdles and overcoming the hurdles like if you're playing tennis oh fine you put ten thousand hours of practice into your bloody forehand and what's your backhand gonna look like right it's, yeah exactly you still have to go and like be smart with your practice which i think was one of the main things about it it was um yeah overcoming the barriers or, or what you need to work on right because everybody loves to practice stuff they're good at but actually the people who don't do the best the ones who practice are what they're worst at and bring that up to a good standard yeah yeah, no, exactly. And I think it constantly ties into like, you know, all these kind of habit books and things like that, like Atomic Habits, like don't focus so much on the product, focus on the process. Because when you do that, then you realize that it's more about, oh, which hurdle do I like, which hurdle am I at now? And how do I get around that? What What's a new method that I can come up with? And I like that aspect of the book in terms of like, you can't use the same method that you use at the beginning, like for, you know, step 10. You might need to just come up with a completely new method, you know, and it's all about like trying to figure out these different methods that help you at that point that you're at. You I, know? Think, I think he almost calls them as well, doesn't he? He kind of refer, refers to these methods as like mental processes, like yeah. your body. So you slowly improve your mental processes to deal with like the new sort of standard you're at. Um, he also talks about as well, which is kind of what I was saying second here is like, if you just if you do the same thing again and again, eventually you end up into like the automation zone. And I don't know if you got to this bit, but it talks about how when, let's just say you're practicing, right? And you're not really thinking about it. You're just in automatic mode. You're not actually learning. Like, to yeah, you stagnate. You need, yeah, you need to be outside of your automatic zone. You need to be thinking about how you're doing it because that's the way you can improve your performance. Um, and then you need to be obviously repeating that thinking and trying to, you know, sort of connect. Well, for example, tennis, I guess the example was like thinking about, I don't know, um, timing etc and you're being conscious of how well you're timing things right and then over time yeah. keep practicing like that you start realizing you're getting the timing better and better and that's when the automation takes over and makes it auto- automatic to hit it better if you get me yeah but if, you, if you just play without thinking through like oh what timing am i doing this time you know you're yeah. not actually really practicing i think that's quite interesting how he said that's not real practicing it's like he calls naive is purposeful practicing yeah no exactly I mean, we've kind of actually, blew it. we've just kind of gone into like a peak review here. I know, I know, I know. That's why it's dangerous because yeah. uh, you'll end up just summarizing yeah. the whole book. But um, yeah, I was just basically just kind of, I liked this idea of having a new metric rather than just time because people just like, you see all these kind of, you know, big shots and when they're doing their, you know, university, like, you know, speeches at the end and they do all these improvised like um motivational speeches all it is is like put in the hard work put in like the time but it's like i think people get misled that like no matter how much time you put in it's got to be work like smart time Mm -hmm. you know it's like smart thinking smart problem solving we should measure use the metric of problem solving rather than time to like kind Mm -hmm. of um, so I think that, yeah, get from a to B. that leads quite nicely into. I've just basically gone to my room search measurement. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you have any sort of stuff for it. So, well, go, go ahead and then I, I, so, I might indeed. So from one of the books I was reading called Upstream, which is all about problem solving, um, mm-hmm. he talks about the difference between data for learning these data for inspection. I know this, this is kind of it's kind of difficult okay. to hear me out. So he talks about like data for the purpose of inspection is a bit like management. It's like um, did you hit your sales targets or whatever? 
Whereas data yeah. hubs are learning is like data, which is going to help you improve. So it'd be more like, oh, like delving deeper into just like, not just sales targets. So basically what the way I see it is that what you measure defines like the way you sort of deal with that data. So like big, big to yeah. what you're saying, like you could measure on time that you put into it, but that's more like, that's more inspection, isn't it? It's more like, oh, have I hit the quota mm. two hours a week? Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas data for the purpose of learning is how many good forehands did I hit? So it's more specific. Yeah. It's it's data based on the thing you're trying to improve rather than something that you're just trying to see if you're hitting a quota. Um, yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. And in terms of like, you're also working kind of on the trans transferableness. Okay. Like going back to what you were saying in terms of like you know when you're working on the fundamentals, mm-hmm. um, it's like the more generalized areas that are are the foundation of whatever you're learning and so like you work on those transferable areas and then you can go off and specialize into other areas i know that's kind of a detail of what you were saying but um in terms of like like you were saying there's what was it the tape data what were the two ones the data, data, data for like learning and improvement via data for inspection like there's two different types. yeah exactly the learning and improvement helps you for the longer run and it like constantly gets better and better whereas the other one is like almost like a check-in period it's like where am i at the moment oh, okay this is how much this is how many sales i've done right now correct, correct. it's like a check-in process but it's also like you're what are you quantifying that i guess you're quantifying process are you yeah i guess you are because like for example on the hour thing you'd be quantifying the amount of times you've you've spent playing i don't, i'm just trying to link it between the two because i think there's quite interesting this idea that you know what you measure actually can influence the way you sort of practice as well yeah oh, absolutely the main point like what you measure actually influences the way you behave because you're always trying to optimize the measurement so like yeah if you're optimizing that like you said for the ten thousand hours you're optimizing then to be playing as much as possible without realizing that just because you've done 10 hours of practice every week doesn't mean you're getting any better if you're sticking to the yeah exactly like, maybe you should like in fact, in fact you know, maybe this is the best way of saying it like you should measure that but you should also have some sub measurements which impact which make the most out of those hours if you kind of if you have the measurement of hours, obviously you want to be practicing a certain amount of time, but you should have some sub measurements within that to, to actually to gauge improvement or to try. And yeah. Um, well, I think we've said this in terms of like setting up our room in terms of like, oh, you have a goal and there's like a big goal, right? But then you focus on the process, but you kind of need something to like, to jog your memory or nudge you as to why you're doing the goal in the first place. Cause sometimes you can just be like, okay, I do this every day and and you kind of lose the motivation for it. And that's why you can look up and see the bigger goal and be like, oh, okay, that's why I'm doing it. Sure. Do you know what I mean? So you kind of have your check-in periods to be like, okay, so I'm like smashing this and then, okay, this is this is how far I've got. And then you get back to like, you know, the process at hand. I, th- I think an interesting thing about what you're saying as well is like, I think of actually this, like this, you saying sort of like sub goals, sorry, like having like you, different, level, yeah. like different levels. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think, I think also sub goals and all this idea of like measuring different areas of your life whether it be improving in tennis or whatever, it's quite interesting because it gives you different like views of you. Like it gives you different views of what you're doing. So like one of them is giving you views of time, but one of them is giving you views of progress at a specific thing. And like by having these different sub levels, you have different viewpoints of what you're doing and how you're trying to get there. If you get me. Yeah. You're not just having this one measurement, which you think counts for everything. You're trying to do multiple different things. So you're trying to, you know, there's, there's more to it. It gives you a more multi-dimensional view of looking at it. If you get well, yeah, and I think that's quite interesting because I don't know how many people like see these other ways of looking at their goal, mm-hmm. you know, or other ways to measure it. Like, like you just said before, you know, if someone says, "Okay, you need to do ten thousand hours," then people might just think, "Okay, well, once I've done the ten thousand hours, I should be an expert." But it doesn't happen like that until someone comes along and then they go, "Like, oh, but you should also look at this aspect of it." 
you know, this angle of it. And I think like, it's kind of interesting that you can have like a goal. Okay. Ours is like, you know, building a book summary website. And then someone comes along and be like, have you thought of this way of measuring it as well? And then you kind of incorporate that so that then you can kind of jump from different kind of ways to look at your goal, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, no, because otherwise you end up blinded if like oh. you've only got like one way of measuring something and you don't see it from a different angle. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, and then you start chasing the measurement and you forget what you're trying to do in the first place because you're too busy chasing it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's just to say like, oh, I've done an hour, but it doesn't matter like how shit that hour was, you know, or like how good that hour was. It's really interesting because it, it becomes like a scope thing where like you could, yeah, like par- parents could be measuring their child's like, oh my God, you got to do an hour of practice a day. And if you're not like, you're not, but like, what are they, how good is that practice? You know, there's sometimes when let's just say you're not feeling, you're really tired, right? An hour of practice then is going to do fuck all. Like you're not going to achieve much from that hour of practice. Like sometimes it's better to sort of have flexibility, you know? Flexibility in the way you measure things and flexibility. Adapt. Yeah, adaptability. Adapt to the situation. It's like, it's. I think James Clear talks about it in Atomic Habits where like you don't want the idea of measuring the habit as in like ticking off you went to the gym, the sole reason for going to the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I've ticked it off, it's done. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want that to be the way that like you measure things. You want to be able to like, that's that can show you your progress, but it's not the only reason why you're doing it. Of course, but also it can show your progress, but also at the same time, it doesn't tell you whether that gym session was any good. Exactly. And how you measure quality is quite hard, but like. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's put it this way. It, it gets complicated, but I feel like maybe what the main point of what we're trying to sort of get at here is like just optimizing for one or just using one metric to, to like measure your life or measure progress or measure yourself. is not a good way of doing it, but you've got to yeah. have multi way, multiple ways of measuring what, how you're doing things, what you're doing, et cetera, what your goals are. Right. Um, yeah. So if you only have one metric, then it's like if you optimize for that, then you're going to miss out on all the other things. Um, yeah. No. Ex- precisely. This is, I've got a quote here. I just searched up practice on my room. I have Thomas Sterner. So I don't know where the hell I pulled this from because I don't even recognize the name. But I Thomas my, Sterner. I've got Thomas Sterner. I'm going to press him now. He's only one okay. thing. I must have grabbed it from Twitter or something. So, so yeah. Because everything in life worth achieving requires practice. In fact, life itself is nothing more than one long practice session. And then this refining our motions. Um, with, when the proper mechanics of practicing are understood, the task of learning something new becomes a stress we experience of joy and calmness, a process which settles all areas in life and promotes proper perspective on all life's difficulties. I quite like this idea because the more I think about it, like when you when you understand that practice is more like looking for where you can improve. Yeah. You, you, I think, oh, fact, do you know what? This is, yeah, I think that this is later on in the book, which I don't know, I don't know if I want to ruin it for you. But he talks about this idea of like a practice-driven mindset. Okay. Um, let me quickly grab it. So like this, so what this guy was alluding to on his on his sort of quote there was this idea that once you realize that everything's one big practice, you can make a game out of everything. And this actually links back to flow. Yeah. Yes, I thought that there was a big link between the, between the two. Because you get into that flow state of like, it's a bit of a challenge and you're engaged, right? And this is the, the practice-driven mindset. is like um, that you're always looking to seek, to hone your skills. And you can basically, you can look to hone your skills in other ways. So let's just say... Um, you realize in football you need to be fitter right you could hone your skills by going for a jog you could hone your skills doing other things like other activities so let's just say you're in a you were like um, a builder or something and you're doing lots of physical activity you could be re-honing your strength skills for doing other like you know other sports and point was like you could you can bring into other activities the practice that you want for another activity 
similar to like, I don't know, for example, gymnastics might need an extra level of stretching. You could stretch throughout the day. There is elements of practice that you can fit into your day. Those are the transferable aspects. It's like the flexibility, the fitness. It's like, you know, you start to see a lot of um, uh, Olympic athletes that do different things. I I think I was uh, watching an interview of like a couple of swimmers from the US team. And they were saying like, oh, well, we do ballet and we do this and we do that because it's like, you're grabbing from so many different areas that yes, in themselves are specialties, but the underlying concept is okay. Flexibility. You can get that by being a dancer. You can get that by being loads of different things. And I think we talked about this roughly in terms of positive reinforcements. It's like the more things you have to fall back on, let's say I don't want to go to the gym, but I'm happy to play football. Mm -hmm. You're still ticking off that fitness aspect, you know, and they're still doing those other areas. It's just in different contexts. I'll tell you what's quite an interesting idea as well. So like, obviously what I first alluded to what I was saying then was like, well, how can you use the practice driven mindset to hone general skills to like, you know, like I said, you could do a bit of fitness in another activity to benefit skills, but also I like this idea. He talks about like looking for opportunities in the day. Let's just say if you're working a boring job to transform into practice activities. So he'd be like, right. So let's say every day you have to do the same task again and again and again. He's like, right. Think about the, what that task needs in it, like the steps, and figure out how to improve or practice doing those steps quicker. Is there any other way to do it? And like, I quite like this idea, and this is like the flow thing. It's kind of like making a game. Because when, when you practice, you're essentially making a game because the whole idea of the practice is you set like a goal, a specific yeah. thing you can improve at, and then you head after it. So yeah. it's pretty fulfilling to do it. So this idea of like breaking down your day-to-day activities, it could even be like something really is... Um, basic is like okay i replied to five emails yesterday can i reply to seven or eight today yeah exactly yeah, yeah. or using a new way of speeding up my process can i use um for example there's things called what is it ah not like keyboard shortcuts there's another word for text expander that's it there's like an app where you can mm-hmm. like put in certain like uh, letters in a row and press enter and it'll change to like a beginning of a text like you could use stuff yeah. like that to improve your ability to send stuff quicker like basically it's almost like an inspired person's game if you can figure out how to make practice and like a daily thing for you and improve at what you're already doing. Like let's say, yeah. let's say I don't know, you're a social media marketer. Um, you should use pra- like you should be thinking about how to like measure what you're doing and how you can practice to improve it. You know that type of thing. Um, and and that in itself is like a way of looking at things that you can then improve. It's basically a skill in itself. You know to like look at things that you're already doing, see how you're doing them, and then like implement or create a habit that pushes it you know, that like makes it a bit more challenging, just a tiny bit for you to like push it. And then like, you know, you, you're constantly pushing up that cap, you know, that ceiling, that glass ceiling that you're trying to get to, um, which I found kind of nuts in terms of like, like, obviously I'm like a big fan of the idea of like adaptability and like, you know, you can constantly adapt to whatever, but it was kind of peak kind of like, you know, shone a light on the fact that pretty much anything can be, made better and you can adapt too and then i was thinking like this is a bit of a segue but like imagination for example i wondered if there was any link between imagination and dreaming and i wonder if you were to like test your imagination to a point where like i don't know how how, what the challenges are Mm -hmm. you know whether you need more detail and like they talk a lot about like mental representations so maybe like the more detail you can imagine, the better, and then it's stronger it gets. And then I was wondering whether that leaks into like dreaming, whether your dreams end up getting better because you're like kind of working on your imagination. I don't know, but it'd be quite interesting to to find out, I think. Did you make any notes of that? 
Um, well, it was more just like I don't know. It was just like I I don't know whether like you know you can you can sit down you can imagine anything you know if you're in front of your laptop you can imagine it turning into some weird transformer and dancing around the room you know but it's not with like pristine detail and then I wondered whether you know you could get to a point where you've like trained your imagination so well that you can kind of just snap into a kind of alternative reality or like fantasy where you can just like conjure up an image and it's like so prominent oh and then I was like you know I've um thinking about like uh, phys- uh, physicists like Albert Einstein, what he would have had to imagine for like, you know, this to happen and that to happen and all these kind of different concepts. I wonder what like someone's, someone who's like incredibly trained in the art of imagination, what it would look like for them, you know? Why, oh, trained in the art of imagination. Well, I don't know. Cause it's a weird concept, but like, if you're thinking that like, you imagine something, right? Mm. And we're talking neuroplasticity. The more you do something, the more like, you know, it, the easier it becomes for your neurons to like, you know, flat, uh, spark and everything like that. Then surely imagining something is also you're doing something. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you get better at it or I don't know what the challenges are. But Interesting. I, I don't know whether you can actually get better imagining. I, I think it's... More, I don't know. I think actually well, my, my hunch would be with the Einstein stuff is he had a lot of concepts in his head and his imagination was a lot of trying to bring concepts together. Yeah. And I, I, maybe you can train imagination. Don't get me wrong. It's more like, it's more like you sit there and do you like, do you, do you mull over like a concept, right? For example, like what you're doing. Yeah. Now, do you mull it over and then let your subconscious just sort of like f- try and figure out what you're asking and like try and mold together something that that for me is training your imagination or like training your creativity almost is like, can I put two concepts together or can I try to synthesize some new knowledge from these two different ideas? Which um, is basically creativity at the end of the yeah, day. It is, yeah. Um, but I feel like because imagination is a tool for creativity in my head. Really. Yeah. But it's also, yeah, also a tool for fear. And it's such like a, it, it's, it's such a broad like topic. Like it probably encompasses so many aspects. But what's kind of interesting is that you would have, um, like, you know, when they talk about mental representations mm-hmm. and how the more you do something, the more clear it becomes, the more okay. clarity, the more, like, you know, specific detail you can imagine. Mm-hmm. So then I wonder if that in itself, when you imagine something, you're, it's, more, it's more detailed, it's more clarity. So no matter what you, whatever skill you apply yourself to, um, you can conjure up clearer um mental representations than yeah. you would have i mean you, Thomas, you make an interesting point only because of i remember hearing a study i can't remember where it's from which book but it was this idea that you can actually mentally prepare for events or you can mentally practice stuff in your sleep yeah. and your body actually will respond as if you've trained yeah i, I don't know maybe oh, i really don't know to honest me i, I want Honestly, a weird one for me that I found recently, specifically with tennis, is I could. I've been playing quite a bit recently, not too much, right? Yeah. And I always find now when I pick up a racket after maybe like a week's break, I'm genuinely better than when I last picked one up. And I almost feel like there's some level of like, you if you play every day, you almost you're almost overthinking it. Maybe it's because I'm relaxing more, but I don't know. There's, some, there's something that's calming about like you know picking something up after like giving yourself a little break from something for a couple of days and then picking it up again then mm. training every single day. But I don't know if that goes against the whole peak thing. And I don't really, maybe that's just like a personal anecdote, which doesn't really. And also, once again, I'm not measuring. 
Like that's one of the things as well, right? I could, I could say I feel like I'm playing better tennis, yeah. but objectively, if somebody was watching me, they could be like, "Fuck, he's not. He's no better than he was before. If anything, he's worse." Right? True. Um, but I think you have to be able to internalize it. You know, like they do talk about, um, you know, how there is this uh, relationship or symbiosis between you know, your mental representation and then your experience. You know, you conjure up an image of what you're supposed to look like when you do a forehand and then you play the forehand and be like, actually, that felt really good and that's how I should do it. And then your mental representation is like refined and then that's what you try and aim for until, you know, you play it again and then you realise, okay, that's a good aspect that I need to do. I think especially with tennis and stuff like that, the actual mental re- representation comes from the dopamine hit when you realise you've hit a good shot. <laughs> yeah. Like, you refine your representations by, like, the feedback loops of, wow, that was a good shot, and your brain gives you a bit of pleasure, right? That's yeah. Like when you know you've done something good, and it's almost like repeat it. If you kind of yeah. Get it, yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, mate, it's interesting about the this whole idea of, like, training your mental representations, and can you train for imagination? I guess yeah, I don't, yeah. training for imagination would just be imagination, like imagining more, like using your imagination more. Yeah. Having the time every day to sit there and just, you know, just think, let your mind run wild. Well, I kind of do that like now and then with, it sounds weird, but like with book titles or um, a song, like album covers or random shit, I just like, uh, randomly it's normally when i'm a bit high but um when you kind of have to like conjure up a story about something random so you've got nothing to go off apart from one like the title or the look of the album cover and you just have to conjure up because there's no right or wrong you just like, have to be like okay well this is the person that made it and this is what he was going through or this is what happened you know and it's so like bizarre but you're painting an image of how it got around to that um I don't know whether that like helps or not, but yeah. Well, do you know what I think? I think interestingly that would help you flex your thinking muscles. Uh, the idea of like, for example, we look around, we sort of see a book title like this or an album cover, like you're saying, and you just you look at it immediately and you sort of make a snap judgment, but you don't really think. Yeah. About it. You know, you just you just make a judgment and you you've already just had this emotional reaction or whatever you've had to it, but you don't really take a second thought to think. Actually, hang on a second. Somebody chose that to be there. What was he going through? Like, why has he chosen that yeah. to represent? I quite like the idea of just sitting there and just, you know, trying to think a bit more in your day to day because a lot of people just walk around like zombies, not thinking, not, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. Because I'm actually sure people who do this album artwork actually spend their whole days researching what's best to do. <laughs> like, you know, they put a lot of thought into it. And a lot of people just pick it up and just throw it down without realizing. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I like, I, I touched on this idea, like, it's. Um, linked to this imagination and reality thing mm-hmm. i thought um i had like another note in terms of what you so when you imagine something right so like let's say i come across a dog and that's like the category for me a category for the dog is like you know four legs and it's furry mm-hmm. um and then my imagination can take that literal information and then blow it up all right and then it could come up with whatever right and the whole idea of that i guess is to i don't know prepare you for for any other like circumstance you might come across but then but then you might meet another like let's say your first dog that you ever saw was a golden retriever and then you come across a black lab and you're like okay well that can also go in that category so it refines the category which refines the literal information 
And then I was wondering whether that refines how like you imagine your imagination towards uh, that thing. Ah, uh, yeah, it does for sure. Have you heard of the um, God of? I want to say it's George Lakoff. I'm not 100 percent sure. He's more metaphors, but yeah, um, there's this idea of prototypical thinking that the brain operates off prototypes. So like you, okay, thing is you have your you categorize stuff as a prototype. So if you're in my in your head right now, the dog thing, you have a prototype of what a dog looked like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you sort of base your imagination off the prototype. Like you'd base yeah. you'd base your knowledge of other things as well off this prototype category you have in your brain. Yeah. Especially visual representations. Yeah, absolutely. Based based on your personal experience, right? So everybody's prototypes are kind of different. Um but I get what you mean. Which is really interesting, by the way, because they talk about how uh, one of the things artists like to do is they take like prototypes and then they they just explore prototypes and how they could change like categories or they like change yeah. aspects of a prototype. Um, okay, like, yeah, yeah. If you get me this like prototypical thinking, it's kind of interesting when you think about it, like how when somebody is like, it's just it's a form of stereotype as well. Like when you think of a stereotype, you're basically prototyping a human being personality, and you're basically trying to categorize people in that prototype of what that what that idea of that thing is but we all have different prototypes yeah yeah exactly you it's kind of narrowing yeah we all have different prototypes depending on what we pay attention to i would say my prototypical dog in my head is probably more smaller and that's because i've grown up with two small now two small yeah 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 um, whereas some people's prototypical dog would be huge um and neither's right neither's wrong because they all fall under the same category um but it's just interesting to think about that um, yeah that, it is if you think about the way most people's like minds are constructed you have to have this association to like this prototype of what or the, the label and the label has like a an image to it to a degree um and it's so kind of subjective god i'm gonna have to google it now just to be sure proto i had a um a thought a couple of weeks ago like in terms of so yeah like we we categorize things it's slightly subjective to put depending on like what we've been brought up with and what you pay attention to also. Yeah, which means that if every kind of, if every category, let's say, is a spectrum, right? So what looks most like an idea of a dog and what's furthest away, but is still technically in a, technically a dog. Mm. You know, like uh, one of those tiny little like rat chihuahuas. Like a great Dane, you know. Yeah, um, but but um, what's interesting is that depending on our knowledge, and especially our ex- expertise, yeah. then you have a bigger spectrum. So, for instance, mm. I, I got this thought yeah. because I was at um, uh, work at a restaurant and someone was like, oh, this is really busy. Now, I've been there like a year and a half and I know it wasn't like, I wouldn't have described it as busy because I've seen it on a busier day. But my experience compared to, let's say, the head chef who's been there 20 years, mm. his busiest day would be like way above mine. So, like, when we describe these things, like, oh, this is busy or that's busy, but it's all, like, subjective and it's, like... It's your reality, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And you're comparing Um, what your non-busy is. Whereas you're always busy, their non-busy is probably, like, you're busy. Like, yeah, it's all all subjective. And the expertise is, like, you know, they can be slightly more objective because they've been there for 20 years rather than a year and a half, you know? Mm I think, which I find quite interesting. Just, you, by the way, I, I, I think you slightly before you went on to that idea of like busyness, but I feel like this idea of expertise and like, I think, did you say something about having categories that are like different? Yeah. I, I literally was writing this down the other day. So, like, is intelligence just a refinement of like the way you categorize things? So, for example, like, 
let's say you go into a situation or maybe maybe not even what you categorize but what you pay attention to or what something means to you it's like somebody who's really good at communication goes into a uh, goes into a situation where two people are talking or like a social situation right and because they've learned the cues they've learned more refined ideas about what happens in a conversation they can pick up on smaller things because they've got a refined category of like yeah of, let's just say they understand a more nuanced uh, area of like emotion like they understand that there's a different types of emotion like uncertainty etc right and they can set yeah. uncertainty because they look at people's voice tonality right and they can pick it out so my thoughts is like is intelligence always like expertise just a refined version of looking at the same thing but you look you look for different things so you're categorizing a situation differently if you kind of get me yeah but like a dog expert when all the different types of dogs whereas i see a dog i'm just like it's a dog and i was thinking about this the other day i was sat outside and i was looking at plants like these are all plants to me but there's no refined there's no refinement, but an expert would be able to sit there and be like, that's a different plant, that's a different plant, that's a different plant, that's a different plant. Exactly. You don't have the ability to compare it to anything yet. It's like, you know what, like, yeah, I'm the same. I don't know really any plants, but you then know what like a daffodil is because everyone knows what a daffodil is, but you don't know what some like intense plant is. So like, I feel like the more nuance and the more experience you have and expertise you have in an area, the more things you have to compare and once you can compare all of them, you can understand like the kind of concept underlying all of them. Mm. Whereas like when you're a novice and you only have one thing, it's kind of like the Dunning-Kruger effect, you know, they're like, mm. you know, you only have one thing to go off. Um, yeah. You haven't seen the sort of complexities in terms of all the different types of plants and all the different ways to interact, right? So you, you're just completely, your categories one aren't refined and two, you're just completely ignorant to the fact that there's so much out there that you have no fucking clue about. You just think, oh, plants are plant, fuck it, you know? It's, it's interesting because you end up like, realistically, a category is a rule, right? Like a rule for the category of a dog is, is four legs and it's furry and it barks, right? But then like you... What about wolf? I guess they howl. Yeah, they it's howl, probably, I guess. It's like, that's, that's what I mean. It's really hard to, to even create the category. Like, well, I feel like we've we got very good visual categories. I'd say yeah. that as well, right? Like we can visual, like, visualize the difference. You can almost see the difference rather than... Yeah. But then you make the, sorry, I'm actually just thinking out loud here, but then you make the point about the Chihuahua and the Dane. So like there is a visible difference there that if, let's just say you didn't know the label dog, would you be able to discern that the same species? Maybe. Yeah. But that's like, you know, look at a donkey and a, and a horse, True. you know, or a donkey and a pony. Like, you know, they're, they're pretty similar, but like, you know, you'd probably, it's not until you've really paid attention. And that's kind of it. It's like not, it's not until you come across this other kind of information Ooh. that you put into the equation, which is yeah. this category. And then the sum changes, I was about to you say, know, interesting, literally on the topic of animals, right? We, let's just say we didn't know any of this knowledge about what species are. We categorize based on looks. So we probably call donkey and a horse very similar. We yeah. might call something different just because they look different. But like it's like the same with dogs. They're all called different names. But the, the species is actually named based on the genome, isn't it? Or like the similarities yeah. in DNA. But like finding the DNA has allowed for this deeper level of categorization. If you think about it, that's kind of the yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the more you learn, the more proxies you learn for like differentiating. So beforehand, it was like maybe when we first started out as hunter-gatherers, you'd differentiate visually. You'd be like, this one looks like yeah. this, looks this. Then you get to yeah. know them more. You'll study their behavior. This one behaves this way. This one behaves that way. Okay, they're slightly different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and then you slowly refine down to the point now where we've obviously discovered DNA. And now we can refine based on like who has the similar DNA, you know? And then yeah. it's like, you can then differentiate based on that. And the more I think about it, it's quite, it's quite interesting, isn't it? 
Like this idea of find, but like this links back to the sorry, I'm I'm linking this back to the sport thing as well in my head because yeah. it's kind of different. But at the same time, it's like measuring via time or refining that down to something specific. You're measuring something different, so you can categorize differently. So the structure is different of what you're looking for, like how you're going to improve. Like it's the same thing. It's like you either exactly you're just ref, you're just changing the way you're looking at something. Yeah, no, but that, that's exactly it. like I use this kind of metaphor in terms of like um paint or colors you know like everyone knows the standard color blue but then it's not until like you know you really start like you're a painter or something and you start using different colors that makes a complete difference because you're basically just narrowing in you know you're constantly narrowing in and then you can start to see the the specific details within each each thing and then you start to see the differences between lots of different things but if you zoomed out you'd be like oh well all those colors are blue but Uh, they're just variations of blue you know you made a really interesting point about that i'm just going to just build on that quickly because i recently read the creativity inc uh yeah yeah. you know the guy who runs pixar first of all it's fucking amazing there's so many good like metaphors in there like ways and the ways he runs um the way he runs pixar and sort of the sort of ideas he has organizationally for bringing about creativity is good but wait where is it you just reminded me so this is it he he talks about one of the important things he teaches all pixar people is learning how to see so basically what they originally do is he talks about how the difference between like basically artists have learned to uh to look at things differently than everybody else so this he this idea that it's back to this left left and right brain thing from the master as emissary the left isn't it the left that's the one that sort of categorizes and sort of comes up with what things are like labeling i think i think the right categorizes but the left creates the okay. the rule okay fine yeah so basically his point is what artists do or they try and do is we all have this innate ability to see something and recognize it via this like prototypical memory like we recognize yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We recognize this is that because we have these concepts saved he talks about artists what they try and do is they try and unsee so instead of looking yeah. at and categorizing that as a book you try and explore it in its entirety and you try yeah, and look okay. out and just not recognize it as a book and see it for what it is and the colors. It's kind of what you're saying. So instead of seeing like a general plant, you just see like, oh, it's a bloody plant. You sort of, you try and look at it as, as entirety and you try and take in it if it wasn't a plant. If you kind of get me as yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. It talks about like the, basically the way it's taught is this woman comes in and tries to, or this, this person comes in and tries to teach them how to draw. And in fact, it's not about learning how to draw. It's about learning how to see. And yeah. It talks about by changing your focus, you learn how to see and you learn how to draw better because you're you're focusing something different or something like that. And it was it was just an interesting point based on this artist thing. How and back on the topic of like this categorization and like it's sometimes good to just you know withhold that and try and you know stop yourself and be like right, that's a dog, just to try and see it for what it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, look at look at the detail. You know, um, look at it in a different way. You might notice something different when you're not. Like, yeah. But it, what, I, what, what I find funny is like if we are going off the idea that um, that categories are basically rules, then rules kind of like have the connotation that you follow them, uh-huh. and following is like going forward, which kind of means that you're you're kind of looking for anything that has that basic equation, like four four legs, furry, and that's it. You know, so you're looking, it's kind of like confirmation bias. You're looking for information that can categorize something so that you can kind of highlight anything that's different and be like, fuck, okay, well, that dog actually um, is, you know, fucking massive and I've never come across a big dog. Is that still a dog? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's when you pay attention. So it's kind of like, I just find it interesting that like they're kind of just rules that you're constantly looking for. Um, I get what you mean. They're, but they're also like a rule to make sure you can try and understand everything that's going yeah. on. Yeah. 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 
but these rules are, it's quite interesting it's more just like passed down as culture right you like you, you learn them through you don't get born you get born kind of being able to discern what's a dog and what's not but you don't have the label until somebody gives it to you if you get me yeah, yeah. So you're born, you will obviously know what it is, you see it, but you wouldn't even be able to conceptualize it without having this other knowledge that all human knowledge is built off, you know, this idea that yeah. we learn the differences um, based on our, our schooling system, I guess, as well. Yeah. Is yeah, days. I was literally just about to say the same thing. Yeah. I was about to say another interesting thing on the creativity and like talked about a lot about Steve Jobs and like how he he saw a lot of these rules that we kind of have as society as kind of arbitrary. And that was the reason yeah. why such like a knob to people. It was more it was more because he was so I, don't, I want to say why. So I don't. Maybe, maybe it was. He was like into like his Buddhism and stuff. But this ability to like look at stuff and realize that like so a lot of the stuff we see and categorize is just basically a rule that we all come up and agreed on, and it's not necessarily the truth. And language isn't actually a model. Well, yeah, because describing it, if you don't want to get really if, deep into this, it's not actually the truth. It's like a model, you know. But but that's exactly it. It's like it's not like categories, like we just said. You're constantly going further in. You're following this rule, which means you're kind of narrowing in rather than looking at the bigger picture. And I reckon Steve Jobs was someone that could see the bigger picture and be like, "Wait a minute, this rule is kind of bullshit in the grand scheme of things." Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird, but like um, uh, my nephew, he went through this stage of like, if you were like, "Oh, do you want an ice cream?" and he'd be like, uh, "Yes," and then. Um, and then you give him one and then he doesn't say thank you. So then you're like, well, say thank you. And he's like, but I don't really mean it. And it's kind of weird because it's like, interesting. I, you know, it's not for him. It's for me, but it's like it, uh, trying to explain why they do it. Uh, when realistically it's, you know, um, it's, I know it's for you, but basically what it is, is you're trying to teach him. Right. And this actually really yeah. links into the book I'm reading about at the moment about this whole idea of the origins of virtue and like how we bring about cooperation in society. Yeah. And it makes sense that, so the more I think about it, the thank you is kind of like a way of acknowledging that you've done me a, a deal. Exactly. And, exactly. And basically what you're trying to teach him is so fine. He doesn't back to my point, which I was saying to you earlier, mate, you know, family, you don't really thank your family. You should because you expect it. Right. Okay. Yeah. You're trying to teach him to say thank you. So when somebody else, like a random stranger, gives him it, he says thank you because if he doesn't, yeah, yeah. he's then going to get labeled as somebody who's not appreciative of a gift. Right? Yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is all back to what it is is this is this idea that we we socialize people so they can deal with other people, and the socialization yeah. is more like the tit for tat. Like you do me a favor, I'll definitely acknowledge the fact you've done me a favor, and then I'll either pay you back or I'll just show you my gratitude. Right, and that's kind of if you think about it. That's what you're actually teaching him to do because you're not really scared of him not saying thank you to your family because you know they're going to continue doing the same to look after him. But it's, you're teaching him to say thank you for the people who are, who are basically just doing it because they, they want to be acknowledged for doing it. If you kind of yeah. It. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. I didn't, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Then. I, don't, I don't really, it just, it just really highlights our like rules, doesn't it? Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's like, you know, kids are naturally like great kind of philosophers because they ask, well, why is the sky blue? You know, or why is that blah, blah. Uh, these bigger questions that we're not so used to thinking so like broadly, we we end up just narrowing on everything that we kind of want to see. Um, so it's interesting when like one of these kind of social rules that we put being put in, that we put in place is suddenly questioned. You're like, fuck, I've never actually stopped to think about that. You know, I, like I'm so used to saying like please and thank you that like. <laughs> you know, it's like, you, it's kind of just like a normal thing you do that you don't even think about it anymore. Um, I think, I think, yeah, which is... but, but also, mate, you forget that it, the rule of thank you is actually more to acknowledge and be polite to somebody because you'd rather be polite because if you're not polite, 
you are more likely to be socially ostracized. So it's actually yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If you go into the evolutionary roots, like a, it's a risk mitigation strategy, which is once you start seeing everything as that, it starts fucking. Yeah. You. <laughs> I have to say. Well, someone is is you know spending effort on you. Yeah. Basically, if you don't say thank you, if you don't show some sort of appreciation, they're less likely to do it again for you because they feel like you've just taken the piss, kind of thing. Even if you're a young child, they still want to expect to see you being polite. Yeah. Well, someone has spent effort on yeah. you, no, no, and if you don't seem like you're appreciating it, then why would they do it again? Because if if we are in like if we look at this from an evolutionary perspective or a survival's perspective, then you know why would why would someone risk their resources for you? Yeah, no, correct. And it's, it's it's more like, yeah, it's just, I think it talks about this idea in this book that I was reading about the origins of um, virtues. Like, if you go in as strategy being polite, you are more likely to get a polite response and therefore build up a cooperative relationship. So if you go in as not being polite, you're less likely to have a reciprocal relationship in the future, like this whole idea of like, yeah. cooperation. Yeah, yeah. It's like the most safe strategy as a human being is always to go in as polite. And then if somebody's nasty to you back, then you then don't be polite. Like the whole point yeah. is, is like game, it's a like game theory. You basically by being polite the first time, you gauge whether they're going to be polite with you, and if they are, you can build up a mutually beneficial like relationship. Even as a young as yeah. a kid, that's what, you're trying, that's what you're trying to teach them. Because if they don't, if they go in as rude. People don't like rude people, and they get ostracized more often, right? It's um, it's that type of sort of dynamic. That's what I think at least. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I agree. It's like kind of long term thinking. Um, yeah. But did you have any? Um, do you have any other notes? Uh, to be honest, like kind of off topic, so I could go into some of these. Wait, was it? Uh, yeah, fine. So uh, this is going to be quite a hard one to explain, but I'm going to try and do okay. it justice. He, he talks about so in creativity, Inc. He's like this guy's head of Pixar. There's this a bit of background. He he goes into stuff later on where he's talking about using mental models to understand, or for his directors to understand or deal with stress and. Um, the like the uh, pressures of doing creative work yeah. so so obviously when you're creating a film you're kind of like operating with a blank slate you're um you're creating something new you don't know if it's like you, you just don't know if it's going to be successful do you really obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. Build up a film there's a lot of there's a lot on um a lot on the line here and it's quite interesting how he has like a load of different directors who've done different films right and they all kind of have the same like mental models for thinking about this creation process yeah. So one of them thinks of it as a metaphor of um, digging archaeologically and they're trying to find the piece of art or the idea that is hidden in sight. So basically they refine okay. they refine what they're doing and they're imagining that they're in an archaeological site digging up the, the story and digging up the you know the juicy sort of um, artifacts that are going to create yeah, yeah, yeah. a great story. Um, and then another one was uh, talking about, very similar to that, it was like the Michelangelo, you know, sort of got a marble block, you're chipping away to create the the statue of david or whatever it is is that yeah, yeah. the name of it yeah, 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 yeah you know the, and, there's a statue within every block of marble yeah basically that type of thing and and what i found quite interesting about that was this idea that if you have this like guiding principle that what you're doing is like you're searching you're discovering you're more likely to continue in the face of adversity and that's kind of what yeah. his point was he, but he so this is quite interesting as well because he doesn't agree with that model he, okay. he he doesn't agree with the idea that it's there hidden and that you find it. He agree. He he's more of a person belief that you invent the future. So his his mental 
his his mental model was more like he you're building it up like you're building a story and you're like you're refining it as you go like i can't remember his exact mental as in you're manifesting yeah you're yeah. manifesting it. i would say like i'd say it's more familiar to like building a pyramid you know like yeah, yeah block by block stuff happens you fix it you continue going right that was his mental model but he says like he never told people how to think because it's not even about how it, it's not even like an accurate representation is it like you're not actually digging this is back to the metal thing yeah, you're yeah, not yeah, actually yeah. digging arti- archaeologically to find this stuff but it's what i found really powerful is this idea that it gives your brain a really powerful way of dealing with setbacks because you now understand this whole process as part of it like the whole idea you dig up something and you realize you've been digging in the wrong spots so you go somewhere else well, yeah, um, and it's yeah. idea that your mental models of understanding a particular process, even if it's a lie, can give you hope and like and help you understand things or the, understand the arduous task of you know doing something that's risky. Um, well, yeah, I guess you're kind of painting it in like an exciting, motivating kind of mm. way in terms of like that the success is around the corner. You know, like it's still there; it can be found. If um, if you are a pioneer, you know you're you're venturing into something where there's the unknown. And, you know, you, like the unknown can be scary, but also exciting. And if you paint it in an exciting way to kind of be like, well, you know, you're, uh, you're an archaeologist or, you know, you're exploring, you're going to find something that no one's found before, that kind mm-hmm. of thing that kind of motivates you to go into that unknown, I guess. Yeah. Um, you're just kind of reframing your, your approach to it. Um, because, yeah, I reckon otherwise, you know, you, and I, I do agree with this manifestation, actually, this idea that you don't, it's not necessarily already there. The answers don't exist until you ask the question, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. the solution isn't there until you look into the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're, yeah, if you really think about right. it, your, your life is one big, like sort of archeological dig and you're just trying to find the meaning, you know, you're yeah. like, no, I do like it. And I really, I, I obviously they're not representative of reality, but I think if they can give you that sort of push, I quite like the idea. I think in principles, Ray Dalio talks about it. It's like, so the way your life kind of works with goals, right. Is you're climbing a mountain, you hit a peak. Yeah. And when you hit the peak, you realize there's another mountain. So you're like, yeah, you're, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. continuously just like, just climbing in a way. And it might sound hopeless, but it's quite interesting that you just, you, you're having these peaks throughout your life. And that is essentially what your goals are. You're just, you're just hitting your targets and then you're refining. Um, but yeah, no, mate, you have some really good, good metaphors. I think another one I really liked was this, this idea. There was a cognitive, no, no, what was it? It was a clinical psychologist who basically tried to explain to somebody, which I quite liked, this idea of personalities being that to deal with different personalities like being a manager it's been like taking elevators to different floors of a really tall building and people yeah. live on different floors and floors and they have different views and like that's the way you should look at people's like they just have different views from that building you know and i quite like it's very simplistic but it's a good way of saying yeah. that you know people have different opinions or people see things differently because they are on different floors it, no that makes a lot of sense oh uh, yeah no i've quite gotten into the this mental models at the moment like although it could sound quite broad, just this idea of like kind of structures that allow you to think about something in a certain way, like the archaeological, like kind of perspective, like you just said. Um, But this course that I've been doing in the Michigan university one, the mental models one, um, I found it quite interesting in terms of like, like the mental models, the main ones that I use to like explain things we're talking about a literal model is probably spectrums and comparisons i use those quite a lot because i think you can describe information quite well but i was just like i think the more kind of mental models you have the more ways that they're like they're kind of useless without information you know you have to apply 
um, information to them. And once you do, you can see things in a much better light. And I'm kind of curious to learn different models in which I can look at something and be like, oh, okay, fuck. So I used to look at the, well, I can look at this in a spectrum kind of way, but I can also look at it in this kind of way or that kind of way. Exactly what we were talking about earlier on, like having different views and coming at things in different angles, like measuring things in different ways. These are basically it. You know, These are the models that you can use to be like, okay, I'm going to measure it in this way or that way. Or, um, yeah. Yeah. for sure it's like um i don't know if there's still a lag going on but um it's it's for me um the ability to look at things in different ways because no one true mental model is correct it's just like multiple ways of looking at the same thing or, yeah you know the ability to see yeah to just to just structure things differently you can solve problems by looking at it different ways right um yeah on, on a weird other one so like for me it's really hard to discern i guess between a mental model which i think is more like a, a mental model is more so in fact interestingly on one of the books i was reading on design you know that, that little pocket book i had the other day mm-hmm. it's yep. there's, there's different types of mental models oh fuck i'd have butchered this one of them's called interaction models so like the way yeah. you interact with something so like you can figure out how something works as a tool right and then oh, i can't what the other one's called but i can only just assume it's like a system model similar so not like an interaction just the way things work but like a mental model essentially is just like understanding of a particular process of the world right in my head yeah, yeah. It's like a model of something the way the way things work um, and then i was thinking like isn't a metaphor kind of similar it's like a structuring of something so it's, like yeah. a, it's like a way of like thinking of something like it's like a mental model or thinking of something through through their lens or something else <laughs> if you get me yeah yeah, just thinking of the creative process through the lens of you know doing an archaeological dig site and finding treasure um which i find quite interesting and the whole idea that like by using these different mental models you are highlighting different aspects of reality so like by having it as the archaeological site you are highlighting the fact that it's stressful there's no guarantee but when you do find something great it's going to be great that kind of thing yeah but you but then you downplay the idea that there might potentially be never you never find it you know or yeah or is it really are you really are you really finding something or are you really creating something you know and that's like that's what what aspect are you highlighting which i thought was quite interesting um because he also he talks about which uh, this is another metaphor i like which might just sort of hammer home the point have you've heard like the assembly line the ford assembly line and like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and then then i think it was toyota took it a step further where basically what they did is they had a traditional assembly line where every worker had um, a cord, right? So if there was a problem, they pulled the cord, everything came to a halt, and everybody would come around to try and figure out what the problem was and how to fix it. So oh, that's the, assembly cool. line, the assembly line would have like a feedback system where they solved the problem as it went, right? And he talked about this idea of like in Pixar, what they tried to have is the problem assembly line. So not just like, but for information. So like if something was going wrong, because obviously they didn't have a real um, physical, literal assembly line. They have just obviously production line sort of the way it all works communication like the whole idea was you should pull the cord metaphorically then get everybody on it to solve the problems as they come and you empower yeah. the people at the situation to fix them which i thought was a really interesting way of running a business and i quite like the i method. think that's such a cool way actually because it also incentivizes everyone well it doesn't incentivize but well yeah it does actually responsibility, so, mate. It incentivizes yeah. people to take responsibility for the problems and solve them and it's quite fulfilling to like you know but it's also like everyone else knows everyone else's job in a way. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. But also you get you get somebody else's outside perspective on fixing your job. So Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Another, that's another great like sort of this sort of the idea of metaphorical like thinking or the idea of like 
putting a concept and then trying to think how could I use this concept somewhere else like back to what yeah. um back to what we were saying about the imagination earlier like this idea like well this is how I think Einstein kind of did it like he just you know he's constantly figuring thinking about the problem right but then he would see something yeah. like hang on a second like what if that what like I think the way he thought of like gravity or something about light was just like I can't remember what it was. It was something like, what would happen if it was just like a beam of light or something like that? Or he basically framed it as like a different property and that's how he figured it out. And it's like that level of like, just opening your mind up to like, could it be similar to this? And then just trying to, like, that's the way I think of your brain when it's synthesizing. Yeah. It's like taking two two things and trying to figure out where the similarities and how you combine them is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Cause like, think about how many things that we just, we haven't, broken out of yet of thinking in a particular way and then someone's going to come up and be like fuck why didn't we think about it like that and we'll all be like we'll all be there like fucking hell yeah that's so stupid <laughs> uh, like you know when you look back like you know when the fucking earth was flat yeah you know and then someone just goes what would it mean if the world was round i, th- um, I still think one yeah. of the things i always try and think about to like I mean, it's not even like humble. It's just to like try and understand the situation we're all in right now. It's this idea that like people still now still believe complete absurdities. Like if you think, if we think as a collective species, we've got it all figured out. You yeah, are, yeah. You are naive it's as fuck. Yeah, um, yeah. And like, I'm probably wrong about half the things I believe, but at least I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the kind of the way I see it. Like a load of people who like, they're so cocksure of everything. And it's just like, how, how can you be yeah. like, there's not much you can be sure on. Um, it's just, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Especially when you start seeing, I feel like one of the best things you can ever do to yourself is just read widely. Because for me, it's just like, you just start realizing there's so much more to everything than you could ever think of. And it's just like, you know, it's quite, it's quite so humbling. But, huh? So do you think? So many things. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah, I think, I think stuff like human nature but I think, for fact, for example, the things I like to study at the moment are stuff which doesn't change. So this idea, like, the brain is like a structure. I mean, obviously, it's adaptable structure, but we do have innate sort of instincts. And it's like understanding those instincts, seeing yeah. how they sort of come out within culture, um, stuff like that, which, you know, hasn't changed over millennia, you know. But that's where it's good to sort of learn the sort of principles and the stuff which doesn't change. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. Cool, mate. I think we'll, we'll end it there then. Yeah, that sounds good. Sweet. That's good. And that's a wrap. Yeah, perfect.